cool. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, so, what's the subject for today? Well, subject today is revival. So, I have about 20 minutes to tell you everything there is to know about revival, okay? And then to see it happen and then go home. So, um, just to pre-warn you, last five minutes, I'm going to ask God uh, to come and meet us and I'm going to ask you guys to respond, okay? So, just, just warning you now. So revival, uh, I don't know if you've listened to the Tony Peters talk of about a month ago. If you haven't get the podcast, uh, it's really quite inspirational. And out of that uh, is why we're all meeting next Sunday night. So be there or we'll come and visit you. We know where you live. Revival, what is it? So Wikipedia, fountain of all knowledge. Um, revivals are seen by many Christians as being the restoration of the church itself to a vital and fervent relationship with God after a period of decline. A restoration of the church itself to a vital and fervent relationship with God after a period of decline. While elements such as mass conversion of non-believers and beneficial effects on the moral climate of a given culture may be involved. So even then, a, a, a secular uh, dictionary, encyclopedia, that's what it sums it up at. And it gets it pretty accurate. Let's put that into some spiritual context, some biblical context. Psalm 85, verse 6 and 7. It won't come up, but if you're taking notes, which no one is, that's fine. Um, you can look it up later. You've obviously all got incredibly good memories. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. That scripture is a scripture that in every revival of the last couple of thousand years, it's formed the basis of that. It's been prayed, it's been declared time after time. Again, you'll have to have a very good memory for this. Three revivals, go and look up as a bit of homework. The Hebridean revival in 1949. If you go onto YouTube, there's a, um, there's a clip of a sermon uh, with some dreadful Scottish music behind it. I don't think that was original. Talking about what happened in the Hebridean revival. Welsh revival of 1904. The Azusa Street revival in San Francisco that ran from 1906 to 1915. Not just a flash in the pan, not just a few weeks. That verse, revive us, O Lord, come and show us your salvation, was key to all of those. So in revival, what actually happens... Well, any biblical revival, anything that's been deemed as a revival under biblical terms, the focus of it is Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, it means that suddenly there's a waking up. We wake up, you and me, we wake up to who Jesus really is. We wake up to the fact that he's king and lord of our lives. Everything else suddenly becomes less important than him. And he has access to all areas of our life. And he can do with me what he wants to do. He's the king and lord of our lives. He can do with us what he wants to do. He has access to all areas. The reason why I want us to respond later is, as I was preparing this over the last few weeks, has God, has Jesus got access to all areas of my life? What about that past disappointment? where God let you down? What about when you expected something to happen and it didn't? 
What about that time where you just didn't really think, is, have I got any faith? Is there any faith? What about your finances? Right now, lots of us struggling, no money in the bank, and we're struggling to concentrate on Jesus because money's been a big issue for us. What about that unforgiveness? Unforgiveness is such a killer to the church. Any of you who were here for the R.T. Kendall session some months ago, the response was immense. Unforgiveness is one of the key things that stops God moving in our lives individually and in, a, in our nation and in our church. We're angry with family. We're angry with friends, maybe for good reason. Maybe you were 100% hurt. But unforgiveness is a killer. It kills you. It kills your relationship with Jesus. And so when it says we get Christ-focused and nothing is as important as him, it means that even those things, even those worthy burdens that you carry, legitimate gripes, legitimate pains, legitimate fears, legitimate grievances, are not valid. They're invalid, and they need to be given over to Jesus. And that's why I'm going to give us time to respond and ask the Holy Spirit to come and touch us, because... How is it that we suddenly are woken up to Jesus? How is it that we suddenly see him as the most important thing in our lives? It's through his Holy Spirit. What is his Holy Spirit? His Holy Spirit is God's presence on earth. End of Matthew. Jesus has done awesome stuff, but he can only be in one place at one time. He's with the disciples. They've seen miracles. People raised from the dead. They've seen thousands fed. Hundreds, maybe thousands healed. That, for most of us, if we died having seen that, we'd have thought we'd had a pretty decent go at it. God, we did it. We raised the dead. We healed the sick. Yet Jesus had more. And when he said to his disciples, I'm going now back to heaven, I'll leave you with a helper. Probably, I would, like them, probably thought, oh, what, some other bloke turning up, is he? Looking around for a bearded guy who maybe looks slightly cool. Whatever. Probably wearing converses or equivalent of, of the day. He was leaving him with the helper, and the helper was the Holy Spirit. They didn't know that. We have the advantage. We know that. They didn't. But they were told that the helper, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God on earth, would be there for them. And, incredibly, you know all that stuff we have just done? Those hundreds, those thousands of people that are now followers of Jesus, and the sick and the dead, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you without me being here, but with my presence here through his Holy Spirit, will do even greater than that. Wow. If you've been one of those disciples when God said that to you, hands up, how many would have gone, yeah, okay, right, yeah. Yeah, okay, there's four honest people there. It's good. The rest of you, that's what you'll be responding to, won't it, later? So... I wouldn't have gone, ah, yeah, I can see myself doing all of that. Even when he let them loose, they came back going, well, we couldn't do this. We did a bit here, but we couldn't do that. We couldn't do this. They'd already had a few failures and a bit of disappointment. And now Jesus is telling them, I'm going, and without me, you'll do even more. Because the helper will be there, the Holy Spirit. So that's what revival is. It's a focus on Jesus. It's like... You've seen Jesus in black and white, and suddenly you see him in multicolor. Suddenly, it's like bang. It's an explosion in your head. It's an explosion in your heart. 
And Jesus becomes real. And guess what? Why do people get saved outside of the church in revival? Not because of us, but because of Jesus exploding our heart. You cannot help yourself but to radiate this incredible love, this incredible magnetic attraction. In the Hebridean revival, people were walking across the field and God met them because he was meeting his believers thanks to the prayer of two elderly ladies who were so infirm they couldn't get to church. So they could pray. They prayed that this guy Campbell would come and preach. He refused, and they said, oh, no, you're coming, and in 10 days, and he did, and he stayed for two years. Why are we praying next Sunday night? Because we want that here. Who wants that? Who wants that kind of stuff here? Two ladies could do nothing. They couldn't play guitar. They probably didn't wear Converse. They probably weren't that cool. They may not even have their own teeth. Who knows? But luckily in prayer, teeth don't always count. (laughs) So they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed on their own in a little croft. And as a result of it, hundreds came to Jesus. Interestingly, what prompted them was they felt that the church no longer could meet young people. It could not connect with youth. And that's the first hallmark of revival. It's realizing that we need it. Your response showed that you think we need it. I think we need it. This week, look at those riots. The majority of those people were young people. Regardless of what it was, regardless of the causes, one thing's for sure, we need to connect with those young people. Just like we need to connect with everyone else. But surely now is the time for revival. For people to see that Jesus is someone they can believe in. That Jesus will not let them down. That Jesus will be that father that they've not had in their lives. Well, give them that moral compass. Yes, we'll do social programs, we'll give money, we'll counsel. Fantastic. But guess what? If Jesus broke out in revival you wouldn't see, well, you'd see a different kind of riot, yeah? There'd be a riot to get into this church, and other churches are like it. Revival, when it breaks out, you can't contain it, you can't control it, you get a bit of the flesh in there, but boy, do you get a lot of God. It's messy. It's not neatly timed. You can't have a nice, neat program and agenda, and it messes up your life. So before you respond, what you respond to, be prepared for it to mess up your life, because that's what Jesus does. You can't control it. We like to control. Peter, who perhaps was instrumental in the very first New Testament revival in Acts, Peter had seen all these miracles, he was the one who realized first that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet within a few verses, he's already been rebuked and told, get behind me, Satan, because he says to God, you can't die. says to Jesus, you can't die. That's not in the plan. He wanted to do it his way. He wanted to control it. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told him so many times, I will die, me. (laughs) Look in my eyes, watch my face. I die. I rise again. It's all going to be great. And again, yeah, yeah, right. Well, I'm going to kill that guy now anyway, because you're not going anywhere. Gets his sword out, chops a guy's ear off. Now, either he's a very accurate swordsman, or he's absolutely rubbish. Because if you're going to kill someone, you don't chop their ear off, do you? Unless it's to stop them hearing you sneaking up on them or something. 
So already, even at this late minute, Peter still thinks that he can do it his way. And that somehow, revival is going to be a military political solution. And there's going to be this kingdom of Israel that then will dominate the world. Even having spent three years with Jesus. So, you realise that we need it. Next thing, do we make it a priority? Is it going to be a priority in your life? Or are we going to let life, success, money, career, family, whatever, get in the way? None of those things are wrong. Don't hear me wrong. None of those things are wrong. And what you respond to in a few minutes' time will be what the Holy Spirit prompts you. Not what I prompt you, not what anyone else, not your wife, not your husband. It will be the Holy Spirit. It's not the things that are wrong, it's the priority and the focus that you have. Is it a priority for us? I'm not sure, I think with me, being honest, yes, I know we need it. Is it a priority? That's a biggie, and I'm, 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 I'm wrestling with that one. I think it is, but I don't, I'm not sure. It's easy to say, yes, it's a priority, and then tomorrow morning, when you're trying to find a bit more work, so you can throw out a few more invoices, all those that work for yourself know what that's like, where's revival then? So is it a priority? I'm hoping so. And that's why I'm going to be here next Sunday. Because I want to get on my knees and I want to be before God and say, God, make it a priority. Help me make it a priority. Third, prayer and repentance. In every revival, and again, look those up, Hebridean, Welsh, Azusa Street, there's loads more. A spirit of prayer came on the saints, came on the believers, (coughs) and they met Before Pentecost, they were in there praying. Sorry, can we have Acts 2 up, uh, mate? When they were sitting there in prayer, a spirit of prayer came upon them. Have I got this written down so I don't have to turn my head? I think I have. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Save you the trouble and us reading it, 14 different languages from uneducated fishermen from Galilee who left school early because they weren't clever enough to become rabbis, so they go back and become fishermen. They're in their late teens more than likely. And they're speaking in 14 different tongues that people could recognize. And guess what they're saying? They are focusing and expounding the glory of Jesus Christ. Peter, uneducated, stands up and then preaches verbatim from the Old Testament, culminating in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And what happens, and we can't read it all, but again, in your memories you non-note takers, Acts 2, read the whole thing. What happens? They go, they're quick into the heart. What shall we do? What must we do to be saved? 3,000 from one sermon, from an uneducated Galilean guy who put his foot in it, guy who denied Jesus three times, guy coming from immense disappointment, immense failure, 3,000 people. Why? The Holy Spirit. The focus on Jesus. 
the time of prayer, the time of repentance. When you drop to your knees and start saying, Psalm 85, Lord, revive us, the Holy Spirit will come in and he will illuminate those areas, those hurdles in the way to stop you and I being revived. Because what is revival? It's not something out there. It's not something in a box you can order off Amazon, you can plug in as a module, and suddenly, ooh, we got revival. You turn the bulb, oh, should we have a bit more? Yeah, let's die. Ooh, a bit too much. Don't like that. Let's turn it down a bit. You can't. It's you and me. Revival is when Jesus revives you by his Holy Spirit. You and me. He doesn't revive a building. He revives you and I. And in reviving you and I, it revives the body. It revives the church. It revives a community. It revives a nation. It starts with you. So when we're praying next week and at other times, we're not praying for this nebulous thing. We're praying that you and I would suddenly see God in multicolour and he would explode in our hearts and minds. That's what revival is. So Peter, he's obedient when he's denied Jesus at his lowest ebb. There's repentance there. He gets to a point of repentance. He knows Israel needs reviving. He thinks it'll be done slightly differently. He's made it his priority because he's left. His family has worked a lot. He's done it. He's there. He's going for it. He still doesn't quite get it how it's going to happen, but he's there. And then at that moment when that cock crows and he realizes he's done exactly what Jesus has said, there's a humility, brokenness, repentance. So that, why? Because could, could Jesus had built his church with him as he was, possibly, but not in the way he wanted to. He needed a broken, humble guy that says, it's you, Jesus, it's not my way, but your way. Just like Jesus himself had done in Gethsemane. Take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. That was what Peter was saying. So they're there in that room, and suddenly the Holy Spirit, the helper, just rushes in. And their natural response is not to have a little huddle and a few songs. Their natural response is to stumble into the street and 3,000 come to Jesus. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit touches us. That's what happens when we get to the point where there's nothing, or there's as little as possible separating us in our relationship with Jesus. How many of you get that ceiling sometimes where you just think you're trying to break through, but there's something in the way? Anyone get that? Okay, so there's about six other honest people here, so that's good. So we're up to ten now. That's, that's quite a record, double, double figures. We get it, I get it all the time. I just, and when I get on my knees and I wait on God, there's always something there that he lovingly highlights with his laser finger, his laser finger and says, Andy, Andy, give it up, give it up. Forgive that person that cost you your job. Forgive that parent. Forgive that relative who abused you. Forgive yourself for those things that you feel you're not worthy on. That disappointment in God, let it go. Let it go. You worry about money. God said he'll provide all our needs. He'll provide all our needs. Doesn't say you'll be rich. Doesn't say desires and wants. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. He will not let you down. Therefore, let go of the fear of that. It's a real big fear of finance and money in this nation right now. 
Look at the stock market. Don't put your trust in the world. Don't put your trust in fine words and men, but grab his hand, look into his face, and walk with him. Even if you're walking through fire, glass, don't look at what you're walking through. If you keep your eyes on him and you hold his hand, you can get through anything. So can we stand, please? And could I have Sam or band? So no idea what's going to happen now. So initially, before any, we have any music, I just want to... Guys, can you adopt the position? You know what I'm talking about. What does this mean? This means I'm going to give whatever is holding me back into your ha- to you, God, and in return, I'm going to receive from you. What does repentance mean? Repentance means when the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is moving on you now, as the Holy Spirit points things to you, points out things to you, what he's asking for is for you to say, God, I confess that these are in, my, in the way between me and you. I ask for your forgiveness. And in asking for his forgiveness, you are then freed, and you can then go and live in that freedom, not constantly having to keep asking forgiveness. Because every time you keep asking, God says, what sin? What? What? I forgave it. I've forgotten it. He chooses to forget. So now if you shut your eyes... Hold your hands out. Holy Spirit, will you come and will you touch each of your children here? Those that know you, those that don't know you. Today's a great day to start following Jesus. Come and touch. Come and touch your people. Touch them now. Holy Spirit, will you, with your laser guidance, just highlight to them, each one, what is it that's stopping a passion, a multicolored, dimensional view of you in their relationship with you. What is it, Lord? Lord, I break the fear in the name of Jesus. May your perfect love that casts out all fear touch each person here now in the name of Jesus. I cut off disappointment. I cut off those fears. What am I doing here? I'm using the word of God and Jesus himself to cut off the influence of those things on your life so you can ask forgiveness and indeed be free. Jesus, come Holy Spirit. How do you know he's touching you? Some of your hands may be feeling warm. Some of your lips will be tingling like they did on the day of Pentecost. Others, your heart's racing. Others, you're feeling a little woozy, a bit faint. Others, you want to just scream, laugh, cry, whatever. That's the Holy Spirit touching you. That's what he does. It's the presence of the Almighty God. No wonder sometimes it breaks us out of our slight Englishness. God wasn't English, apparently. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Yeah. He's moving amongst us. He's moving around the room. Some of you are feeling it. If you're feeling nothing, don't worry, that's cool. It's not a problem. Don't feel condemned. Just focus on Jesus. And if all you say is, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Some of you are struggling in your head right now. So lift your heads. Lift your heads and just say, Jesus, I love you. It is all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Repeat the name of Jesus. And while you're repeating the name of Jesus, and with a smile on your face, it's very difficult to think of other things. Jesus loves you guys. He died for you. He's passionate for you. He's so passionate for you. 
He'd die again if he had to. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. So some of the people beforehand, again, waiting on the Holy Spirit, waiting on God for him to talk to them, said that there were people here with a right knee problem, people here with eye problems, people here with hay fever, lower back pain, and right wrist pain. I think that's more than one person. Otherwise, you need a lot of prayer. If that's you, Holy Spirit, touch them with your healing power right now in their seats. Touch them right now. That right knee problem, those eye problems, that hay fever, that lower back pain, the right wrist pain, whoever that is, Jesus, by your healing mighty power on your cross, by your stripes we are healed. Heal those people now. And if you want to have prayer on those or anything else, if God's really prompted you, and you want to confess something with someone else. Confession is good. Confession is something you do with somebody else. If you want to confess or if you want prayer or if you want releasing, then come over here in this corner over there. And people will pray for you. And if there's ministry team here, if they could make their way there as well as we sing our closing song. Don't go away without meeting Jesus. Some of you have never followed Jesus and he's calling you right now. And if if that's you, come and stand at the front here. I want to pray with you. Because some of you want to start that journey with Jesus today. Don't go away different this morning. If if nothing else, be challenged. And if, if you want to be, be irritated that I'm challenging you. If you want to be a bit angry and a bit irritated at me, excellent. And if you disagree with me, fantastic. Go away and find out what you do agree with.